Lord, as we come to your word now, Lord, I do speak metamorphosis, transformation, new life, beauty into this house and amongst this fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, I'll uh, tie into that in a minute. So have you ever had to wait for something? Have you ever had to wait a long time such that it's almost like you are groaning in the wait? Do you remember this advert, 2011, John Lewis Christmas advert about the little boy? And he's waiting for Christmas. And you see him and you see him in various guises. And he's, he's waiting for Christmas. And then Christmas Day comes. And you think he's going to get his presents now. But no, he goes to the cupboard. And he opens the cupboard door. And he gets out the present. And all the way, he's been wanting to give a present to his mum and dad. It was a wonderful advert. Or maybe there's been a celebration that you've been waiting for, a big life event. You know, any of us that have been involved in planning wedding days, as one couple over here recently did. Wedding days, they just take forever to come around. Or maybe there's pain, physical pain perhaps, and you're waiting for it to be put right by the NHS. Or maybe... You're just waiting for the purposes of God to be fulfilled. And you know what it is to cry out, how long, O Lord? Anyone been through that? Anyone going through that at the moment? Maybe a few of us. Well, that's Paul's heart. And that's his cry in Romans 8. And I'm going to look at this today. We're going to springboard out of this passage, Romans 8. Um, Can you see that all right? Because I think it'd be great to read this together and personalize it and and just remind ourselves of some truth, some kingdom truth, okay? So this is Paul, Romans 8, and he says this. Let's read this out together. Read at home. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, 
because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. In the same... No, I was going to say we just read that. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So that passage speaks of the not yet of the kingdom. There is a day, but the now of the kingdom, the now and the not yet, the now of the kingdom breaking in, as we're going to see as we go through this today. So we're continuing then with our series, Being Human, looking at our identity, who are, just this key topic. And Romans 8 here maps out the salvation narrative, if you like, the story of salvation, especially as it relates to the image of God in human beings. What happens to the image of God in us? We've been listening the last couple of weeks, Chris and Erica, about the image of God at creation, the perfect image of God. We're made in the image of God. So what then happens? You see, this image of God is a key marker for our identity. Our identity is shaped, defined very much by who we are in God. It's really important that we remember that because the world will try and define us and shape us and shape our identity all sorts of ways. And it's vital that as believers we get a hold of the fact of who we are in God. So that's what we're going to look at today. So let's crack on. Firstly, we're going to briefly do this. Firstly, we are made in the image of God. The image of God was made in us. And like I say, Chris and Erica have dealt with this, particularly from Genesis 1 and 2, the the creation story, the story of this perfect creation and the image of God in human beings, whatever that means, and it has different facets to it. But it means this, that we have tremendous value. You have tremendous dignity. So hold your head up, brother, sister. However you're feeling this morning, however rubbish about yourself you're feeling, you're made in the image of God. That has to put value in you. We are created for a purpose. We are loved at the core of our being. So this is good, isn't it? Do you realize that if the father was out for a stroll in the garden, it says God walked in the cool of the day, didn't he? In the garden, there in creation, whatever, whatever that was like. If there had been some act of kindness done in the garden, the father comes across some lovely creation, somebody's made a garland of flowers or something like this. Do you realize the father would not have been able to tell whether it was Jesus who'd done it or whether it was Adam, whether it was us in those early days. Why? Because we would have had the same moral character as Jesus. He would not have been able to tell apart us and Jesus in terms of our moral character. Now, 
Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, was also omnipotent and omniscient in a way we're not. But in terms of the perfection of our character, that is who we were. And here's some good news. One day, we are going to be like that again. Just look at your husband or wife or the person sitting next to you. Now, you know all their faults. I'm looking at Ali, I'm struggling. I'll be honest. She's looking at me, she's going, do you want to see the list? But one day, we're going to look at each other. And for all our marriage, you know, is good. One day, you are going to be perfect. Everyone's going to look at you and go, wow. That's good news, isn't it? We've got that good news. It is good news. Whether you think it or not, okay? Whether I heard an amen there or not, it is good news. I just want you to know that, okay? So firstly, we're made in the image of God. But secondly, this image has been marred. Creation is broken. We are broken, fractured. If something is marred, it's damaged, it spoils, it is rendered less than perfect. And we read about this in Genesis 3. I'm not going to read it now. And again, however it happened, we know, don't we, the world has fallen. We are only too aware of that at the moment, aren't we? As we look at our news channels, we're only too aware of the brokenness of our world. The whole of creation is spoiled. The physical creation actually is fractured. There are elements of the physical creation that we will not see in glory. Sharks will not attack us. The physical creation will be restored and we will be restored because at the present time we are broken. Human society is fractured. We've chosen to disobey, haven't we? And we prefer all too often to walk in independence as we know ourselves. We know what it is, don't we, to walk in independence from God, to do it our way. It's not what we're created for. And the effects of this are devastating. There was separation from God because of our sin. We're powerless to resist sin. It has this power over us, this sinful, fallen nature to just get the better of us. Paul says, why do I, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, those I do. I don't want to be a pain in the backside to people, but I can be. I don't want to hear an amen to that. Thank you. And because of our brokenness, we're under judgment. We are going to pay the price for our chosen sinfulness, folks. Ah, there is a solution to that, by the way. I'll get to that. So the image of God in us is marred. Andrew Kulikowski talks about this fallen creation. He says this, this fallen creation was a suitable habitation for a humanity at odds with its creator. There are times, aren't there, we're just at odds with God. And because we're at odds with God, we're at odds with one another. Well, again, there's good news for this. There's no aspect of our nature that is untouched. No aspect of anyone's nature. We have been corrupted emotionally. Now, emotions are healthy things, but they're not to have free reign. We're certainly not to dictate our lives by them. We've been corrupted emotionally, psychologically, our thought life, our mental 
patterns are not as healthy as they ought to be. Relationally, things have been corrupted and damaged and spoiled. I know that as a pastor. Some of you deal with pastoral care in the church. You know, we know what it is. So many issues are because of relational problems. Physically, we struggle, don't we? And sexually, we struggle. There is not one of us whose sexuality is not flawed. All of us. In Calvinist theology, some of you will know this, in Calvinist theology, this idea that there's nothing untouched is called total depravity. Now, it doesn't mean we're as bad as we could be, thank God. But it does mean this, not one aspect of our being is unaffected by sin. It's why we've got to wrestle against sin or it will get the better of us. Friends, I haven't planned to say this, but maybe I need to. Do not, let us not trifle with sin. Let's not trifle with sin because it will damage us and it will damage those around us. It's why we have the table. It's why we're going to celebrate communion later. Because this table is the solution to our sin. That's good news. Trust me, that's good news. Oh, man alive, is that good news. So the image of God in us has been damaged. But, but... The image can be metamorphosed. The image can be metamorphosed. Now, at this point, some of you are thinking, he has really stretched alliteration this morning. Alliteration is when you try and make points beginning with the same letter. You know, this, the image has been made. It's been marred. Metamorphosed. Come on. Now, I will be honest. That is where this started. I was just trying to find another M. Okay? But then I realized... Because I remember coming across a little Greek word, a big Greek word, and it's powerful. You see, this idea that we have been metamorphosed is thoroughly biblical. To be metamorphosed means to change form or nature. How many of you remember Morph? One of the older members of our congregation, Mark Gibson, sent in a picture of Morph. Tony, what was his name? Tony Hart. Tony Hart, Google it, the younger generations among us, okay? Steve, you'll have to Google it, mate, you're too young. Okay, there was this, uh, this Tony Hart, and he had this plasticine character called Morph, who used to change shape. So metamorphosis to, is, means to change form or nature. It comes from a Greek word, metamorphu, which means to change shape or nature, funny enough. Romans 12.2 says this. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed is the word metamorpho. Be changed. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. So how are we to be transformed? We're to be transformed one of the reasons why preaching is important and Bible study and meditation is important because that way we're transformed by the transformation of our minds. 
Because how many of us know that in our own minds, left to our own devices, our own minds can lead us down paths we should not go down. We think thoughts, we just become negative, we see the world negatively, or we, we just live with thoughts and lies and build strongholds that are destructive. However, getting a hold of God's word and dwelling on that transforms your mind because you're hearing truth. And the truth will set you free. Amen. The truth will set you free. Brother, sister, if there were two things I could do with every believer that I could just think that I just think would set us off on the right course, it would be this. One, pray more. Two, read your Bible. Don't think you're going to be able to live a healthy life as a believer in this world without reading your Bible. Now, you may say, don't be legalistic, Paul. Come on, don't be legalistic. I think it's biblical. Either buy into it or don't, but we'll pay the consequences if we don't. The Word of God is restorative for us. It is truth for us. It is life for us. Let me tell you, I'm being a lot more passionate about this sermon this morning than I thought I was going to be. (laughs) If I had to say, I think God may be wanting to say some stuff and lift us out of poor living and not being who we're meant to be, me included. And what I need to do is get a hold of the word of God and seek him and lay hold of him and know him in his life, in my life, and grow, you know, three, four foot taller. That's what God wants for us. Well, how are we to be transformed? Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 17, 18 says, now the, the, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate or reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed, metamorphosed, the, the same word there, metamorpho, transformed into His image, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I remember when I became, first became a believer, I, I, was, you know, I was obviously in a kind of a, a lull or something and, and just struggling to think, God, what are you doing in my life and stuff? How can I know that, if you like, I'm going to get better? I'm going I'm to change for the better. How can I know that? And it was this verse that God spoke to me. If I give myself to contemplating the Lord's glory, to reflecting upon him, to seeking him, he promises we're going to be transformed into his image. So how are we going to be changed? We're going to be changed to become more like Jesus into his image. That is God's work in us. I think it's probably God's primary work in us is to make us more like Jesus. Again, maybe you want to look at your friend next to you or husband or wife or just think about them. If they're open to God, believe it or not, if they're seeking God and doing their best and they're they're trying to be a good man, a good woman, believe it or not, they are being transformed to become more like Jesus. Now, you may look at them and go, really? But it's true. Because if we contemplate the Lord's glory... We are being transformed into his image. It's good news, isn't it? That's good. There's a lot of good news this morning. Okay? The process has begun. It's it's the process then of sanctification, 
being made holy, having the dross refined away and becoming more like Jesus. Just to let you know, friend, it's why we go through trials. Whatever you're facing at the moment, God's heart in it is that you seek him and are transformed into his likeness. So how is that possible that we become more like Jesus? Well, it's through Christ himself. He modeled the perfect image of God. He lived the perfect identity of a human being in God. Hebrews 12, 3 says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So when we read and hear and think and worship Jesus, we're thinking of the perfect one, the one who modeled what God is really like. His emotions were intact. Even his anger was holy. He submitted bodily passions. Jesus, there was the possibility with Jesus in his humanity that he could have looked at who would have been considered an attractive woman and been tempted. That was a possibility. But he submitted his passions. He didn't yield to potential lust. And his thought life was only ever hopeful and optimistic. I'm not saying he was triumphalist. He didn't make light of pain. He lamented. He, he cried over Jerusalem. He weeps over the Ukraine. But he remained hopeful. And it makes the renewal of his image in us possible. It's through Christ, his cross. It's through these elements that we remember that there's the possibility of the image of God being renewed in us. What do I mean by that? Well, through the cross, the separation with God is healed. We can come back into life with Jesus. If you've never heard the Christian message, if you're, not, if you're listening to this and you're not sure you're a Christian or you're not sure you've got a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to explain to you now what we call the gospel, the good news. And it's this, that because of the cross... Your sin that I was talking about earlier, that you're under judgment for, was paid for. And through forgiveness, through knowing that God loves you, because he died for you on the cross, you can come to him, ask him to forgive you, and he will, and you'll come into relationship with him. And he'll give you the power by his Holy Spirit to walk perfectly with him. You won't do it, not this side of glory anyway. But you've got the potential for that image of God that's been broken to be healed. That's the good news of the Christian gospel. As believers then, at this point in our lives, we are like that lava in the cocoon. Because we are struggling to emerge. We're wrestling, we're trapped by this bondage, by sin in our lives and our sinful nature. But we wrestle with that to overcome it and to emerge more and more like Christ. That's difficult, isn't it? 
Because in the meantime, we go through trials. In the meantime, we are waiting. I think some of you here, I just sense in my spirit, some of us, we know exactly what that is. To wrestle with our sinful nature. At this moment in time, there's stuff, there's trials going on, there's difficulties. And you know what it is to wrestle and to be waiting and to be struggling in the cocoon. That's what Paul talks about in Romans 8. In verse 28 of Romans 8, we read it earlier. He he starts by saying, these present sufferings are nothing compared to what's coming. But we know present sufferings. Verse 23, he says, we groan inwardly as we wait. Again, do you know what it is to be groaning at the moment? Are you, is your trial at this moment, maybe you're at home, is your trial so intense at the moment, you know what it is to be groaning. You're saying, Lord, I can't keep waiting, I can't go on. Verse 26, he talks about our weakness. The word means our limitations. We're made only too conscious of our limitations in trial. But, verse 29, in all of that, we are conforming to the likeness of his son. In all of that, we're conforming. He's working out, he's changing us. It's why a gentleman, R.T. Kendall, talks about us dignifying the trial. Consider it joy when you go through trials. Why? Because God is making you more like Jesus in the trial, in the refining, in the purifying. Because we're not always good at it. When life's comfortable and, and there's no need to lean into God, well, we become a bit lazy. And we become, I become more like Paul and less like Jesus. When I'm not forced by trial to lean into God. Do you know what I'm talking about? We settle. So keep wrestling, keep struggling to emerge like you're created to be. Finally, we're going to wrap up now and prepare for the table. Finally, one day the image will be metamorphosed perfectly. We will all emerge like beautiful butterflies. I am very tempted at this point to have Richard Mason, a, a good friend, and Andy, to demonstrate what it is to be a beautiful butterfly by flitting around the room. But I'll, I'll resist that temptation. Yeah? No? Unless you want me to. No. One day we are going to emerge, and metaphorically, we're going to spread our wings, and we are going to be full of colour And life, the colour and life of the life of God in us. Every one of us is going to be full of beauty and dynamism. We are all going to be gorgeous. Isn't that good, Rachel, that Fred, one day, I mean, you think he's gorgeous now. He will be even more gorgeous. Our brilliance. Our brilliance will take our breath away. And God has that for us now. But one day, perfectly. As we saw in that video, the former life is going to be shed. Aren't you looking forward to that day? 
when you don't have to wrestle with your sinful nature anymore. There's a wonderful passage, 1 John 3, puts it so well. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. That's a tremendous part of our identity in God, children. And that is what we are. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. I believe there are men and women, probably among us here, that as we go through life, you know, we, there are some people we're not, that aren't naturally impressive. They are going to be the ones that most astound us. Men and women that live quiet lives in the background, faithfully serving Christians in places like Ukraine, in North Korea, that on that day are just going to be astounding. You know, some butterflies, you see wildlife programs, are just so brilliant, so full of color, so full of life. There are going to be believers like that. What we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Again, there's tremendous good news in this then. We're going to be like him. The image is going to be perfectly restored. So let me ask you, is that your hope? Are you conscious? Are we conscious of this future? Do we live with this hope that in there, in our struggles now, yes, there's something though that says, ah, one day though. And it's not just a head thing. It actually gives us life and hope. Do you know what it is to live with that? Because in the meantime, there is a mealtime that nourishes us. I'm talking about communion. This feeds us in the weight, in the struggle. Because it reminds us of these elements of the image of God that I've talked about. What do I mean? Well, we're reminded when we come to the table. So I just want you in your spirit now to just be, if you like, no longer intellectually processing, but just in your spirit. Just start to prepare your heart for communion. Because it reminds us that the image is marred. That you are broken. I am broken. And so we come humbly. None of us has a right to judge anyone else. The image has been broken and marred in all of us. And we only have our weakness to offer. But Christ has come, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, that the image can be restored. And that's why he's instituted this celebration to remind us, hey, I'm restoring the image. I'm restoring you to be who you're created to be. And so we come and we ask forgiveness. And we come thankful 
And we come and to the best of our ability, we live, as we've just read, to purify ourselves. That's why Paul says, don't, don't eat of the table in an unworthy manner. We can't be living a life of sin. Now, I know we all struggle with sin, but we can't be living a life where we just turn a blind eye, where we're not conscious of sin and come to the table. But maybe for someone this morning, this is your restoration this morning. If you've been living and, and denying and downplaying sin, this is your restoration. This is why Christ instituted communion. And it reminds us he's coming again. Because he says in 1 Corinthians 11, as often as you do this, you proclaim his death until he comes. So we remind ourselves that one day we're going to emerge from the cocoon. Perfect, colorful, full of life. As I was preparing, and we're going to come to the table now, like I say, and if, if you're a believer here, you don't have to be a member of this church, but if you're trusting Jesus for your salvation, if you're as best to your ability, you're trying to live to please him. It's not perfect, but you're trying to live. You do love him. You're very welcome to take communion with us. But I just felt the Lord would have me share this. I was on a retreat recently at Lorne Abbey, and Lorne Abbey is, I think it's under the auspices of the Anglican Church. And uh, we read earlier kind of a, a liturgy similar to in a lot of churches in the nation, and there was a liturgy that spoke of, there was a prayer we prayed as part of this retreat ser about serving him in the newness of life. Anyone recognize that phrase? Serving him. We come, we ask forgiveness, we take the emblems, and then we go to serve him in the newness of life. And the Lord's been speaking to me a lot recently about new life and, and newness. And I believe it's a word probably for a good number of individuals, but even for us as a church. You see, God is always doing a new thing. It's just in his nature. He can't help but do a new thing. He, he never becomes stale. I know he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, but he never becomes stale. There's, obvious, there's always a freshness and a newness about God. And the way the Lord's been speaking to me about this particularly is through the number two. Now, I'm not saying this is a biblical idea, but it just seems to speak to me. Where the number one, if you like, is the original. Number one is the first. And number two is the number that follows one and is the new number. And as we know, the date recently has been, you know, 2 2 22. Well, this is a picture of our mutt called Lola, okay? And I just happened to catch, I just happened to look at my phone, and that's a picture on the lock screen, and I just happened to catch my phone, and the time was 22.02 on what for me is the second day of the week, Tuesday, because I, I start a week on a Monday, Tuesday on the 22nd of the 2nd of 22. So that's 22.02 on 22.22. There's a lot of twos. And it just caught my attention. And God speaks to me sometimes like that. And I just felt the Lord was saying to me, Paul, there's newness. Where you've gone stale, where things have become stale, there's newness. And I'm holding on to that in faith. But I believe that's a word for some of us here. Get a hold of that. There is newness coming. 
feel it in my spirit. Some of you need to, some of you need to, well done, Liel. Some of us need to, even if we don't say it out loud, I realize we're sensible believers here at Beck. However, if you wanted to, you need to at least metaphorically be saying, Amen, I receive that, Lord. I receive newness. Why? Because this speaks of new life. This speaks of new life in the spirit. It's why the spirit was given. And so we're going to receive now through communion the newness of life God has for us. He's restoring the image. There's new life. There's new nature coming to you, brother or sister. I don't care how old you are. There's new nature coming. He's renewing you. I love all those words that begin with R-E. Restore, renew, reform, revitalize, revive. We need some of that. This is what we've been looking at this morning. Metamorphosis, a change of nature to a new nature and new life. So we're going to receive these elements now. And uh, we've already prayed one. We are getting serious church here this morning. We've already prayed one liturgical prayer this morning. For this morning, number two, our second liturgical prayer. Not one, not one liturgical prayer this morning here at Beck, people. We are doing church properly here this morning, okay? Do I hear an amen to that? Come on, all you Anglicans at that point. Need, even if you don't say amen, you just need to nod your head sagely as you... Very good, very good. I, I, I affirm that. So we're going to pray this. It's a prayer of penitence, preparing us for the table. Friends, why don't we stand to pray it? Let's just be conscious, be active. We're coming, we're bringing ourselves before the Lord. We're confessing our sin. We're asking him to forgive us and to give us new life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause at one point just to give us space to bring our stuff before the Lord. So let's pray this together, shall we? Let's pray. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all people, we acknowledge and confess the grievous sins and wickedness which we have so often committed by thought, word, and deed against your divine majesty, provoking most justly your anger and indignation against us. We earnestly repent and are deeply sorry for these wrongdoings. The memory of them weighs us down The burden of them is too great for us to bear. Let's just pause there. So just in the choir, ask the Spirit to show you, what do you need to bring to him? What do we need to confess? And let's just spend a a few seconds in quiet, just bringing before the Lord ourselves and asking him forgiveness. And then we're going to continue. So let's just pray.
is continued by asking God to be merciful to us. Let's continue. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father. For your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake, forgive us all that is past and grant that from this time onwards we may always serve and please you in newness of life to the honour and glory of your name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Why don't you take your seats, folks, and we're going to give thanks now for these emblems. So, Father, we come to your table and we thank you for your death for us on the cross. Thank you that in your death, resurrection, sending of the Spirit is new life. Father, thank you that you are transforming us now to be more like your Son, that we might glorify him in the here and now. We thank you, Lord, for your body broken. We thank you, Lord, for your blood shed for us. And we receive your death, resurrection, and new life now. In Jesus' name.